0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, friends beyond the binary, and my patron peeps. uh, Hey patrons, if you're hearing this, I'm assuming you have access to your Patreon RSS, but if you don't, uh, don't hesitate to email support.patreon.com or just go to that page. It has like uh, the how-tos on the page, but you can send them a note. They'll walk you through setting it up. uh, And I know people like me, I don't like to ask questions either. Uh, but ask them for help they're getting paid for it uh and they really want to help get everybody set up with their rss uh, which just means you get the patreon episodes right in your podcasting app instead of having to listen to them in the email or on the website and patreon's like way more adept at doing it so just go to support.patreon.com for help thank you patrons Uh, Hey, you up all night, tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble, getting to sleep, trouble, staying asleep, well, welcome, this is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep, we do it's a bedtime story, all you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play, I'm going to do the rest, what I'm going to attempt to do is uh, create a safe place uh, where you can set aside uh, whatever's keeping you awake, Uh, thoughts, uh, feelings, uh, sensations, uh, temperature, ups and downs, twists and turns, uh, whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, inside, outside, or around you, or where you are. I'd like to help. I'd like to distract you. It's part of the safe place to make you feel comfortable, to earn your trust Those those other layers of the safe place. You know, I'd like to make it, like it uh, as comfortable as I possibly can. And the way I'm going to do that to start out is to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use a lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones, uh, pace, uh, I think it's a languid pace, uh, or I'll just use words like languid that are lovely, even if I don't, you know, totally know their meaning or pronunciation. You know, I'll be using, I'll, I'll I'm going to sneak in some word usage. It may be, you know, non-proper, you know, word usage, but, uh, I'll be doing my best to say well, that's languid uh, not quite liquid uh, but it's languid. You know I'd like your show like if it, like uh, it'd say well it'd be nice if my shoulders felt languid. Yeah, but I'm gonna try to make you feel comfortable if you're new, here's the structure of the show. here's what to expect. the first four minutes or less ideally our business. That's how we keep the podcast and over 600 archived episodes free is all the people that act on that stuff at the beginning, uh, whether it's the sponsors or listener support. uh, But if you're new, it's not super important. uh, Thanks for sticking through that. And then we have an intro, which we've begun here. The intros are normally around 12 minutes or so. And the idea is to set the tone uh, if you're new, so you get an idea of what to expect, which is not exactly the unexpected, but you say... Like, if there was a word where you combined uh, unexpected and couldn't make any sense of it, like, not senseless, uh, like, kind of like you're shrugging your shoulders out of surprise, uh, like you'd say, well, that was an un- unsensibly expected, like a word, but there be might be a word. I don't think, uh, languid fits there. What was I talking about anyway? Like, I guess that would be your reaction to the podcast. Oh, during the intro. So I try to, like, the intro tries to set the mood for the podcast. Uh, then we'll have about a 45-minute, 50-minute uh, uh, this week. It'll be our episodic uh, series uh, about a girl raised by a theme park. Uh, kind of. I mean, like, I don't know if, I, I think it's not metaphorically, though. She's actually being raised by a theme park, uh, but let's not dig too deep. We don't need you need to no you don't need to make any sense of it. Let me give you the like uh these aren't exactly rules or I guess they're kind of guidelines, uh not parameters. Parameters it sounds a bit like rules, but more like uh with parallel lines or something. But you uh so here's what the the thing is. This is a podcast you don't need to listen to. You can kinda of listen to it, you can tune it in, you can tune it out, you can turn it down, you can turn it up, uh However you wish, you can uh, totally listen to me as as some people do, uh, you know, during the day for chilling. Uh, Some people do it during the day when or or anytime, anytime when it's 420 anywhere. Uh, Some people use it. uh, They they, they can't sleep. And I'm here the whole time. Uh, But you don't need to listen to me. I'll be here. But you don't have to listen. If you like to, if you need to, I'll be here to keep you company. But you're also you're under no pressure to listen, and you're under no pressure to fall asleep. The shows are about an hour, so you can take your time getting there. Because um, I'm here to keep you company, take your mind off of stuff, it distract you. And I mean, like, we want to talk about a kind of distraction. I had this dream last night. Usually, I don't uh, lead intros with dreams, but this one really stuck out to me. Uh, I mean, this dream's kind of like uh, meandering, and I think it'd be a good. Like, usually I like to use these intros to try to make a metaphor about what the podcast, like how it works for new people. Uh, But everyone's different. So, but I don't usually talk about my dreams. But I had this dream, uh, and it was related to, to uh, something that kind of influenced the podcast and someone that I look up to and also tangentially related to someone else I look up to. And I don't know how many people watched uh, the Guild web series, uh, like, uh, back in the day, back in the day, 2007, 2007, I guess that was a while ago, uh, but it, like, uh, it was something I really loved, uh, the web series, uh, uh, which, uh, uh, two of the stars are Felicia Day and, uh, Sandeep Parikh and, uh. And I really like I have a soft spot for for both of them and the, the show and all, all the other characters but like uh Sandeep is the one that was in my dream in uh, like in the dream uh, he was uh he he was uh, like uh, let's see we were like in some sort of like second floor cafe and he was kind of coaching me I was trying to write jokes about cake I think for a podcast monologue. because it seemed like uh it was just t- talking about cake, C-A-K-E, the the actual, like, the thing and the ingredients. And it was going off in this tangent. And he was, like, uh, in the dream, he was a friend. In, in real life, I only know him as a, as a celebrity that I look up to. And, uh, like, uh, he, like I know that, uh, what is it, uh, Melania uh, Weintraub, I, I think, uh, And he'd do a comedy show and uh, like uh, I had discovered that comedy show by um, uh, something funny she had done on uh, Instagram about that bus you sleep on uh, that goes from Los Angeles to San Francisco. Uh, But anyway, so he like in the dream, we were friends and he was kind of like being helpful to me and he's kind of saying, well, let's see about that joke there and I was said this is getting pretty Seinfeldian, and and he was like, well, I don't, I don't know. And he, we were just talking about the ingredients of cake, and uh, then we ended up like running around, and then I ended up like putting on like I think we were like volunteering at a uh, like this children's thing, and I was trying to get dressed up in as a, like in a cardboard robot uh, outfit, and I couldn't figure out how to control it. Uh, uh, and, and that, so that was kind of the dream or the part I'll talk about in the podcast was him being nice to me. And we were talking about cake, but I think the reason I had cake on my brain, uh, is cause I recently saw like a live performance of the illusionist podcast, uh, uh, which, uh, Helen Saltzman uh, makes and, and, it was a wonderful, wonderful performance. And she, she was making good jokes about cake, uh, which were very funny. And I don't know, ideally, uh, some of those, uh, like, uh, stories uh, from the live show, one of which was an episode, will be in future episodes. So I don't want to talk about it other than say, Helen was cracking me up with her talk about cake. And so I planted a seed, and then later in a dream, Sandy was trying to help me be funny, and he was very nice. He he seemed like, uh, uh, the, like the person he comes across uh, on the guild and then on YouTube and stuff, uh. Uh, very witty and really nice uh so it was my point i do i don't know like my dream, dreams can be like that uh, like a little bit meandering uh but grounded in reality and influ- influenced by something real uh and it's nice when you have a dream that's kind of like a, with a nice feel you said well this is a dream influenced by Helen and also i got to meet uh Martin Helen's husband who's the coolest And because he was playing music at the live show, uh, to to go along with it. But in anyway, but then, uh, and that was influenced by someone that I looked up to. But like the guild really, uh, like I think a lot of podcasts I listen to and uh, like people I look up to, like Helen, uh, like influenced podcasts currently. And then the guild, I don't know what it was, uh, yeah, uh, there was such a fresh, uh, like, it kind of, I don't know if it was unironic, but the way they presented uh, the, the the characters in the guild uh and inhabited them as actors and writers and stuff. uh I, I don't know, just just really soft, soft, warm place in my heart for that. Really funny, and and if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out because it uh it, it, it's uh, like uh, it'll rock your world. Uh, I mean, really, you you like plan on binging it. uh Because it is very, very hilarious. And uh, like at the time I was watching the Guild, I was trying to write web comedy. So I was looking up to that as like a a thing. Like we were trying to make one, me and two other writers. And we would constantly argue because I'd say, well, on the Guild, and the other writers would start to roll their eyes. And I'd say, did you watch the episode of the guild that I assigned you? And one of the, we, we actually ended up, I, I would write this into the story because they would get so, like, it'd be like, uh, it, well, that's not how Felicia Day does it. So I, I don't know if we can, I can move forward because uh, on the guild, uh, uh, I said, do, do, did you see the part where Zabu, uh, like, uh, whatever, These are, anyway, check out the guild. And this is, I guess, uh, what's the, uh, I don't know. There's little things that influence uh, the podcast that sometimes I forget to mention. And one of the nice things about loving things, uh, whether it's the illusionist or the guild or anything else is it, uh, I think it has some sort of positive vibration, uh, that helps me create the podcast and create an environment, uh, uh, they can be supportive and open to you. Because I said, well, just this, these jokes that are made it then influenced this dream uh, where I was being supported in the dream and then I was actually going out to perform as a robot. I don't think I was going to do any cake jokes as a robot. Those, those could be funny. And I think it's a way that we're all kind of interconnected, I guess is my point, in that I, how I appreciate that you are listening but not listening at the same time. Uh, and I can be here the whole time to kind of try, try to put you to sleep and you can fall asleep whenever you wish. Uh, and ideally, I'm setting the tone for you to have nice dreams, uh, you know, whether it's uh, comedians or comedians or, or whomever. Uh, so uh, I guess that's it. Like, like it does a little does an interesting little tangent for me. And I want to say thank you to to, to both those people. And I hopefully I'll link to uh Uh, what they're doing currently in my show notes. Uh, But, yeah, hopefully I can set the stage for you to drift off into dreamland. If you're new, thank you for coming by. Now, this podcast, it doesn't work for everybody, so give it a few tries. People say, hey, give it three, four, five, six tries uh, and see if it helps. uh, Because you say, after the first few tries now, a lot of reviews are saying, oh, then I realized I don't have to do anything or make any sense of this, or you just kind of. It's like uh, it's like sleeping next to a stream or something like a ba- like I get like this is a metaphor like a, yeah I'm like a bab I guess a babbling brook uh, I'm i ba- I'm the baffling babbling brook uh, maybe that could be a new uh, one-off story too the babbling book, brook that the baffled brook uh, there we go maybe next uh, next Tuesday we'll talk about that one uh, but thank you so much for coming by. I really work hard. I strive and I yearn because I want to help you fall asleep. Uh All right, let's get down with the show. Right, hey, everybody. Welcome to our uh, uh episodic series, not serial, but totally episodic, uh, modular in some sense because you can listen to them in any order. And it's a little bit, uh, it is grounded, but it is a bit surreal. Uh, so uh, it was really not a setup, just one character or kind of two characters. And the the episode is in in a like uh, you'll you'll figure it out because right? it's kind of self-contained or and part of a broad b- bigger world. Uh, so either one, that's why it's episodic, else you gotta do settle in. And for the transition, I just want you uh, to to settle in and, and feel like the slow motion. Just like the water, uh, created like by, in the water of a fish tank by the fish tank filter. Like the water is moving and, and maybe the filter's on like a full speed. So there's like even a little bit of a, a bare, barely wave action. And we get a deeper look into the aquarium and you see the aquarium rocks and. You know, maybe a, like a couple of decorations and some fake plants and some real plants and some fish, uh, slowly making their way around the tank. Uh, and then you m- notice even more the motion of the water of the fish tank and how it r- reminds you of the motion of the sea or lake, uh, that gentle, uh, up and down rocking motion at the surface, uh, not really waves, because uh, the fish tank is, uh, you know, not the shore, it's out there, uh, and usually the water action is pretty similar to that, uh, like something short of a sloshing and the water's moving. You can get easy rolling motion. And just uh, picture that uh, as we start our story here. Yes, hello, you arrived here. And I remember before you first came, the caretaker had been spending a lot of time here working on things, and I, I really wondered what the caretaker was up to. I mean, the caretaker had always been working out back, but now... The caretaker had taken time inside the attraction and uh, got the ride system operating and the audio really taking the time uh, to get things set up. Uh, But the first thing you noticed when you arrived was that the caretaker had failed uh, to prepare the entrance of the ride before the queue and when you came in and the doors weren't operating properly the one was just hanging off its hinges and the other one was just set up against the side totally detached and you came in the entryway and then there was another set of non-operational open doors uh, that didn't seem satisfying to you when you found a broom and you started to sweeping out all the debris that the wind had blown in, and you worked on the first set of doors. I'm always amazed. I mean, I'd heard from some of the other attractions uh, how you've kind of seen your way to some of these mechanisms or improvised uh, solutions, which while you didn't get the doors operational because they were automatic doors... You did get them on their hinges and sliders and the automatic mechanism. You made sure it was disengaged so you could roll the doors open and shut. And that uh, kept the debris from coming into the entrance room, the uh, like uh, kind of like a chamber to keep stuff from blowing into the queue. And you set to work on the second doors and you sweeped out that area and you even stayed there a few nights. And you got it nice, and you got the signs cleaned off, and you worked on the the front of the ride. And and you couldn't get it the same because there was that those ocean rocks with the fake fake ocean spray. You didn't even know that was there. But you made sure the sign that said entrance uh, was cleaned off in the arrow. It was like you were really engaged, and and I I guess... uh, I did not, not here to offer my opinion to the, the caretaker. But it was remiss, I guess you could say, to say, hey, what about this entrance? And you fixed that, and you fixed the doors. And then you made your way into the queue, where, again, you've gotten to know those queues in a whole new way, meandering through the ocean dunes. with was the winding line for the ride, and... The grasses and the sound of the seagulls, and the beginning of the narration, and preparing, which was a big leap for 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 my attraction, to prepare the guests uh, to see the seas of the myths, and then the future oceans, and then our present seas, and you had the loop going. With that famous narrator and she would say What calls us to the sea? Why have we always sought out a solace and adventure in our oceans? Is it because our bodies are mostly made up of water? Or is it because there's a mystery in a myth to the oceans that surround us, the oceans that inhabit us, the oceans of the myth the oceans of the planning of our future, Uh, join us or set sail uh, for your journey. And then there was the aquapods, they called them. And this was the old uh, Unimover technology, a giant chain of interconnected pods, uh, or a train almost, but a full-circle train. And you hit the green button and started the ride up and everything had been properly greased and lubricated and repaired by the caretaker before your arrival. And the ride started to move and since you had never been on it before, you know, you didn't know the parts that were missing. It all seemed mesmerizing to you. And it began the narration, the same narrator as from the queue, welcome to the seas of our myths. And uh, the ride kind of set off. Uh, it was interesting as you wrote it and rewrote it and paid attention because obviously not all of these uh, were even myths that were familiar with the guests. And this was one of those rides that never really had a ride line uh, because of the, both the technology of the Unimover. And it was kind of like a semi-popular. And because our ride was structured with nearly no bottlenecks, uh, that it benefited from riding it over and over again. Uh, So as the narrator explained, uh, delving deep and exploring the myths uh, of the seas and the oceans and the lakes and the rivers all around us, all around our world, and uh, there's a lot of, there was a lot of cool things that the caretaker was able to return to working order, puddles turning to ash rays, uh, and then someone riding a brook horse, uh, and that was just a projection on a wall. He said, is that a brook, is that a horse made of a brook or a horse from a brook, uh. And then diving to the famous worlds uh, and going by uh, places like Atlantis and even the sea pods traveling through and having sound effects and Lemuria and Moo, Jengu, Seamur people, uh, libraries of uh, Atlantis they seemed to fixate on, and even smelled like paper. Now, not to you, that feature wasn't... Uh, Restorable, uh, the kingdoms of the sea monkeys, uh, which had been in, in later times become a new important myth uh, and also combined with the nostalgia of intergenerational. But these were the sea monkeys of myths uh, talking and celebrating and their counterparts or, or their parallel, the blue men and women ruling and and then uh, encountering the the sea monkeys. Some of this was done in just the murals, uh, but you studied it all. And then one big right-hand turn with the ride, avoiding Ben Yip, uh, and going and seeing Nemo, Captain Nemo, and also Nemo, there's a little tribute of Nemo, uh the other one. The Captain Nemo playing his organ and then breaking the wall and talking saying be you know, this is uh uh the part of the ride where we deal with uh the other part of the myths. Uh undersea friends, Nemo didn't do that in quotes. He was much more straightforward with his language. But then we set forth and met Cedo and Panlong. Uh, there was a Chessie in the further right side background of the Chesapeake Bay and Nessie and the other side of a mural with their heads randomly projecting them rising up uh, in sea dragons and leviathans and krakens and insignia And then it talked about even more shrouded mysteries. as the song of Fosse Grimm carries you on the air? Or is it the song of the sirens that the sailors would hear? And passing through and hearing the narrator comment on the Fortunate Isles and Formosa and Bermuda Triangle and explaining why uh, humans had made those into places of uh, popular myth uh, or ancient myth or what was once popular becomes ancient. And there was the uh, sea of myth uh, that was also just way out there and hilarious, like uh, the little coppice uh, whose heads were like bowls of water running along and spilling the water out of their heads, Uh, and then Avalon and Marsburg, uh, a vortex, uh, the lady of the lake uh, smiling and guiding, laughing and lovely, and mermaids and nereids and rukala, uh, selkies, and so many, I mean, some of these I didn't even remember. You would ride it again and again and watch them. They were all uh, mostly based in, you know, other than the surreal creatures, uh, uh, very humanoid. So again, you'd watch the sea monkeys and they'd seem to be debating something, or the blue men and women conducting some sort of forum. The mer people uh, planning and uh, reinforcing, or again, the way they progressed uh, Atlantis uh, and talking about the different myths of Atlantis and was it a continent and was it below the sea? Where was it? Uh, was the library intact? And you rode it again and again, and sometimes you would get off and see a spot that the caretaker had missed, or you know, see something that wasn't working right—the uh, turn of a head that was a little bit jerky—and you'd see if you could fix it, or a scrape on the wall. You, you know, you would run back to where you had things stored, like paints and wires and tools, uh, mostly in that anteroom in your bag you carried with you. And you would kind of plus the ride, and you enjoyed how it moved so slowly. And this was just the first part. And I liked how you would just, uh, most of the time just climb out and walk all the way back, uh, you know, guests never had that option they would ride it uh, from the seas of the myth uh, into the seas of the future but you had that luxury uh, and you, over and over again uh, but mostly at some point as you stopped analyzing it for the myths and started looking for the errors and then just riding it. Uh, I don't know. I I was wondering what you were waiting for before moving into the future. But I think it was a matter of you at some point. uh, They never talked about this with any of the other attractions, but wondering if uh, someone was coming after you. And I I, I, I never had time to contemplate it till now that uh, were you mirroring the caretaker in some way? Was this intentional or natural or just who you were slowly becoming? Or was it a fantasy? W- w- I didn't know. W- were there people coming behind you? Or were you just preparing for uh, an imaginary friend or a follower? I say, well, if I, I was, uh, if this is my home, uh, are there other uh, children here somewhere or not? Uh, And I said, oh, is she doing this? Or I said, maybe she just very sensitive to details and she likes to make sure the moon and the way the wind was blowing where the sirens and Fosse Grimm's were singing that she wanted the moon that way and, and the clouds uh, uh, to be as billowing and flowing as uh, the uh, creators uh, attempted to make them. And then you would soak in the ride and go all the way back to the entrance, make sure your doors were closed and nothing was blowing in. no debris or anything was uh, clogging up the queue or the anteroom and uh, i guess you had the fullest uh, descent into the myth of the sea in some ways i wish uh, as i heard many guests uh, talking uh, from different places uh, in the world uh, or different uh, uh, collection of knowledge of the world saying oh that is this myth from this place uh or, oh, we studied that myth in the history of this or that, uh, or that was on that cartoon show, the sirens or whatever. I wish you had had access to that history, to the history books uh, or the classes at a, a school or university. Or the cartoons, I I wondered, I had never seen these, but I had heard different guests say, oh, that was like when Goofy went to Rome, there was one part, or, oh, I had the the, the sea monkeys on the box, nothing like that. Or, who's that? Was that horse made of water or laughing at the capas? No one said, where's that from? That's uh, strange. Their, their heads are bowls and they're just running around, Spill. They're trying not to spill the water out of their heads. Uh, and the lady of the lake and her sly, comforting smile. Uh, saying, was it, what was it? Is that from, uh, what's that from? You know, people would get, oh, that's uh, Queen Isabella of the Sea. Or. You know, the, 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 whatever, a lot of people, you know, there was just so many guests that got it wrong. But none of that mattered to you. None of that was really a big deal at all. You just, uh, it seemed to, to, to want to make things the best you could. And you still seemed to enjoy it. Uh, but at some point you decided to move on. And ride the rest of the attraction a few times you fell asleep and accidentally did ride it uh, but you seemed content uh, to stay in the seas of Mitch for a long time and then it moved into the seas of the future, the oceans of the future I forget what the narrator says because uh, that part was a little shorted out uh, but it said something like uh, the seas of the future start in our distant past, uh, always calling us ahead. But in order to move ahead, we have to look backwards, all the way back uh, to 700 A.D. in the Taika people. And uh, the ride showed them uh, pinning uh, the seas and uh, innovations of Buckminster Fuller. Uh, became geodesic domes, uh, these geodesic uh, containers that uh, would float throughout the sea, uh, trying to create something that was uh, both sustainable and humane for the fish uh, out in the oceans. And then it went on to start to show uh, how non-ocean-friendly technology was slowly uh, going to be converted uh, to much more uh, environmentally friendly things and how uh, oceanic cities uh, that were portrayed in these beautiful ways and these uh, uh, faux vistas... uh, that you could get off and look and that was another thing you replaced the little light bulbs on the on these giant platforms and it showed how harnessing the power of the waves and the sun and then we descended underneath uh, even though it was just a trick of light and paint and water sounds uh showing what was called thermic conversion, and the way the water moved within the ocean, just like the wind in the air, and how that could also uh, be harnessed uh, to power these uh, cities. And eventually, the narrator said, uh, the power on the land and how they could f- fix uh, some of the other things, uh, capturing uh, humongous amounts of carbon dioxide on these uh, oceanic uh, cities, uh, with these uh, giant uh, pens with the waste of the cities uh, becoming essential, uh, with the algae taking in all the CO2, and gently going down to, to the bottom of the ocean. And as we got deeper, we began to get a view of where you might live under the sea if you didn't live on the surface in one of the, the great interconnected surface cities or former platforms, uh, seeing these interconnected pods, uh, uh, some that could also be on the surface and some pods that would just sink during times when it was rough on the surface. Uh, I think I forgot. Them. I had to sneak that in there. But the cities uh, below the sea were much less cities than interconnected camps in some way or stations. And some of it was also based on science fiction, some fun and, and, and some more future futurism based uh but uh there were scenes uh cartoony scenes of uh adults and children leaving to commute by a personal submarine and uh kids, the sub bus is here to get you you know don't forget to wear your flippers uh and views of the future of the sea from the nineteen twenties and thirties the fifties and sixties all the way up until, uh, the time the ride was constructed. And we went down, uh, to Neptune Base, uh, full of aquanauts, as they called them. I forget which year. Uh, this was a vision of the future, but it was modular homes and science pods, uh, Uh, the arboretum with uh, artificial light and some light even piped in from the surface. And they said, all this plant life's here to make it feel a little bit like a home. And then you passed uh, different views of people exploring the ocean with these hookah lines uh, where they didn't need suits or even tanks, just a line attached to their home or uh, oxygen uh, sub-following them out there uh, swimming in the sea, getting it around. And then we went to the deep sea and saw the reinforcements in the future and uh, the curious things of the unexplored areas yet to be unexplored and comparisons to the moon and uh, all those things. but when you started rewriting and rewriting this part of the ride and re kind of, uh, wouldn't do, I guess you weren't refurbishing it. You were still furbishing the ride, just like you had done with the myths. Uh, you seemed to be obsessed with uh, this one part, uh, with the more cartoony, but reality based uh, future of the sea, the life of the undersea chef, uh, Of course, it was one of the sillier characters from our park pretending to be an undersea chef, uh, a Neptune base, and explaining how hard it is to cook under pressure, and that the character was sweating under pressure, jokes about that, uh, and then jokes about how down under the sea you have to uh, be careful because the smells are so much stronger. And you see, you seem to get all those jokes. Uh, I guess because of all the body language, it was, uh, it was so much based on that and the character bringing stuff out, even though it might look delicious. Everyone, uh, saying, whew, uh, yeah, I never I smelled turkey under pressure before, uh, or, you know, overcooking something, you know, toast or whatever. You found that hilarious. Uh, and I would say, well, it's kind of middling. You also studied the children after they headed off on their aqua bus. Uh, some of the children went to a virtual academy with the uh, kids on the surface and the screens and the virtual reality that showed their classmates or their teacher. And there's always in these, uh, even in, not just in our park, there's always a seal that is a family pet, uh, or a dolphin. And in this case, you know, the seal kind of barking and interrupting the class and you would go and pat the, uh, the seal on the head. And that was kind of the carrying of the ride towards the end and the main message, uh, it seemed like you liked the children, but you knew they were just tronics, uh in older tronics at that. So almost more mannequin, moving mannequins. Uh, but you you paid attention to how they said, and and in the future, children are. It's extra important, you know. They did it subtly at first with the classroom, saying, "Now, how's everyone's project going?" And the deplasticization. Or what have you learned about carbon dioxide, uh, Franny, and all of that? Uh, but uh, they talked about how the children are supposed to be good stewards of the sea and not repeat the mistakes of their ancestors. And this was the last transition of the ride, uh, kind of the underlying point of uh, ancestors who saw the ocean as boundless and limitless. Uh, who took the seas for granted, as the narrator said, who built in awe of her power, but never contemplated her fragility, who never realized the interconnectedness of all things uh, on land and sea-like, and how the children were learning uh, important lessons and how to restore... Uh, all visions uh, for the future, uh, to ensure the future of the seas. And then kind of was le- building again uh, towards what you were going to get next on my attraction. And I said, as you depart soon for base Moo, you'll learn how to recognize and respect and value and protect our living seas, uh, the seas so important to our myths uh, the seas so important to our future the seas that make up you know they said the statistics of how much it makes up a person and the planet earth and it said now you, as you depart your aqua aquapod you'll board an aquavator to carry you thousands of fathoms below the sea to move base uh, You know, so please collect your belongings and your young ones and uh, watch your step as you step to the left uh, in our moving walkway. And thank you uh, from the seas of the past, uh, from the seas of the myths, and the sea of the future. We thank you. And uh, we something about again the audio, but it said your, your departure to Mubase. And then as you got off there, was some of the audio was still working and it had been restored. I said, you're going to board an aquavator, and there was a banks of aquavators uh, that you were supposed to line up for. And I said, well, she's never been on an elevator before. But he said that the aquavators will take you deep below the surface to the largest aquarium of its kind in the world, where all the different oceans of our planet are represented all teeming with life. Uh, this is a real science-based uh, aquarium where we're testing out new ideas every day and how to ensure the future of our uh, flourishing seas uh, where we work on solutions so we don't repeat the mistakes of our past. And we ensure that the chains that interconnect all of us uh, in something but then as you got to, to the door of the aquapod a lot of the aquapods were uh they were more blocked off or you couldn't even recognize your door but the closest one to the ride right exit uh had a little chain across the door with a sign on it and the sign said uh thank you for your patience undersea explorers we're preparing for our newest undersea guests uh so the, something like uh, they think you were supposed to take it, the aquapods were closed, and you tried to open the door. You didn't realize the sign was handwritten. I, I thought, I said, she didn't recognize the sign was handwritten yeah, by the caretaker, of course, I believe. Uh, but the chain was easily removed. But the doors were fused together, welded together, plastic. Uh, so, so, so despite your pushing... And trying to restore the power and see where the power to the button that opened the door went. Uh, it wouldn't open. And then finding where the ride operator would actually open the door. That button it still didn't open. It, uh, and you were sticking things and prying and pulling and, and yanking. But nothing worked because uh, the doors were welded or melted together, I guess, in some sense. I don't know if you can weld plastic, but you wouldn't give up. And eventually you found uh, something to start chiseling away and scraping away uh, in between the two doors. And little bit by little bit, uh, when you persist, nothing seems to be able to stop you. You were not deterred at one bit. You eventually got through. It took you a while, and I think it was good for your shoulders and your forearms. Uh You eventually slid the doors open with little ragged plastic tendrils hanging from them on the edge. And you boarded the aquavator, and you looked around, and I think you got the general idea from other attractions. Uh The headroom, it had a floor with a little... uh uh, a glass, of viewing area, and a glass viewing area at the top, and windows, uh, like a glass elevator, uh, though there was nothing on the other side of the glass other than the chamber you were in. And you got an idea for the button, and then you slid the doors closed. Uh, and at first, nothing happened, and you realized, oh, I have to figure out a you know, the the ride operator. So you did that, but since the doors were kind of detached anyway, you were able to start the aquavator and jump right in and close the doors. And it began to vibrate, and uh, the narration on this was not really working. But then the rumbling of the elevator as it seemed to descend, and then the bubbles just started to... So you couldn't see out the window or below you because the water was churning so much and bubbling and bubbling and bubbling as uh, the ride uh, descended. And then the, the uh, audio did kick in at some point, and it was a deep, hollow voice, uh, almost like something like thunder in a tin can, uh, now in a ring, moo bass, you know, 30 fathoms below surface, uh, depressurization beginning. And then the bubbles changed and some sound effects and air effects uh, came on, though you did not know that. Uh, and the shuddering stopped and the motion stopped. Uh, and there was another set of doors at the, on the other side of the aquavator, but they didn't open and at first you, you didn't you didn't really enjoy that, uh, and you tried to pull the doors open, and you thought about uh how, how deep is thirty fathoms, how far did we just travel that I'm friggin' stuck on this excavator? And then you really worked at the doors, uh, and you had brought your chisel, and you stuck it in the door, and the door was not welded; it was uh, there was something on the other side. So you were able to get the doors open a little bit, uh, uh, but you needed something else, uh, because whatever it was, it was like a a thick bar. You just couldn't, couldn't get through it. Uh, you thought about your tools and you said, how do we get it? And then you pulled it out and you said, how do we get this elevator up? Uh, and you grew frustrated. And then you wondered how, uh, what was up with the other doors that it came through? And you went to slide them open to see if they would just be on the other side of wherever you descended to. And as you slid the doors open, you realized you hadn't traveled anywhere. It opened up to the exit of the Unimover ride, right where you had boarded. You hadn't uh, traveled an inch. It was all an illusion. And then you replayed the illusion again and again, riding or starting the descent, the descent of the Aquavator. And I think you found that amusing, heading down to Base uh, 30,000 fathoms or whatever, and watching the flowing bubbles and the rumbling and the tumbling. All an illusion. Uh, the Aquavator's are part of a good show. I I would have said to you if they could speak to you directly. You smiled again and kind of had a chuckle. And then you went and you got your your saw and you worked your way through the bar on the exit door and did some pulling and some twisting and some pushing. Eventually you got those doors loose as well. And you slid those doors open, and you stepped into another world, uh, a world so much different than what it once was. Uh, and if it was anyone else uh, from the time uh, the park was in operation, it would have seemed very bleak to their eyes. But to you, it was just more of a curious sight. Uh, and There was an the ancient vegetal smell in the air hanging everywhere, and you couldn't, you didn't know that this was once a giant undersea aquarium, even though they said it in the audio, you hadn't been, I don't know if it was a series of aquariums uh, or both. Uh, once it was full of water and full of life and fish and plants, uh, but all you saw as you walked or walked around were broken windows, giant, Broken windows, you know, looking out on an empty landscape uh, that in some sense reminded you of a real version of the dark side of the moon ride that you had been on, uh, full of rocks, uh, uh, dark with old vegetation and and dust everywhere, covering everything. You walked around, and it looked t- terribly, un- like, uncleansely, like it really needed a, a touch-up and incredibly boring. Like, uh, and of course, your suspicion was raised, what was this or what is this or why am I here? And it took a while of walking before you saw that the little panels uh, were set where the windows once were. Uh, the viewing portals or whatever they called them, the fish spotter guides. Uh, and you wiped the dust off and saw how they described what fish you might be seeing in each uh, window and what plants and other uh, friends under the sea, how to identify them, what, 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 uh, why they had a beak or, you know, why their fins were set this way or that way you know, what ocean we were looking in on, and uh, what depth. Uh, and as you read these and wiped more of them off, you puzzled and tried to look at them and picture what you should have been seeing versus just uh, this rockscape that you were viewing across or down into. And, of course, it didn't take long for you to climb in there and start to examine the stone and the rock work and dust off the coral and everything that was left behind, the faint traces of once was. And You stood in there and sometimes two or three stories down looking around and that instinct you've carried with you from attraction to attraction seemed to kick in uh, that you started this journey with. Uh, and you set to work uh, cleaning and picking things up. But you started with the glass from the windows. Uh, I thought about it. You didn't have a lot of experience with that. Uh, and you piled it up into different piles and different shapes and it looked like you were kind of like a guest, uh, plotting out how they're going to solve a jigsaw puzzle. And you tried sticking them together and looking at the windows and the edges. Uh, you had that furious focus, uh, of where to start where to begin your fixing, uh, sweeping or, Yeah, finding the the air filtration or getting into the uh, empty aquariums, uh, trying to process what they'd be like full of water. And I think even when you started, you could, part of you could see the futility of your actions. uh, But at the same time, you refused to acknowledge that. And you kept uh, walking around and and waiting for a plan to kick in until eventually it kind of dawned on you that this wasn't a monumental task, but an impossible one to restore uh, the world's largest working aquarium to order. Uh, And it made you glare at the the vacant uh, space uh, all around you. Most like you could will it to return to a flourishing fish fest, and even after realizing and you you couldn't fix it that you couldn't set this ride back in some order, you seemed to just stomp around inside the aquarium, uh, kind of pouting, I guess. Uh, and eventually, you hopped into this one canal. Uh, You wanted to walk every inch of it, I think, uh, hoping something would present itself. And you really seemed uh, uh, fed up, and you started banging on this. At the end of the canal, there was this giant metal door. You were banging on it. uh, and I didn't realize maybe it was out of inquiry, but I think it was out of irritation. When you banged on it, it, after the third or fourth bang, It caught your attention because it wasn't an empty hollow bang like when you bang down the doors of the aquavator. And it wasn't a solid, uh, empty splat bang like when you uh, go against the concrete uh, that it doesn't wield at all. It was a different sound, uh, almost a plunking sound. And you explored the edges of the door and you scrambled up and you started calculating that there was something on the other side of that wall you hadn't seen. And eventually you, you, you had to go up and you had to really explore to find, uh, an exit out of the back of the attraction. They'd put a lot of old storage in front of those exits, uh, she had a lot of, move a lot of old uh, junk and, uh, things, uh, and presentations and all those things. And you shifted all this out of the way and you found a door and exited into another part of the ride that guests could only go on a reserve to two or four. Uh, one of the sustainable parts of the ride outdoors with just a, uh, with just a net overhead to shield the the full sun from the back. And out there was the aqua farm. And there were still pens, including the one up against the canal, that would sometimes, uh, the fish were at times able to freely flow from the ride in and out, uh, or the aquarium, a working fish farm with bubbles bubbling and fish are swimming, and when they saw you, they immediately remembered that the caretaker is the one that feeds them. So the fish rushing around to get a view of you and you smiling and laughing and seeing these fish, uh, in, in these really, really nice, uh, nice pens that allowed them to swim in circles, uh, in this, all the informational things were still there. So you read it and then you found the tour guides, uh, guide, a book, and you read through and you read about how often the fish are fed every day. And you even found a grease pencil and uh, a laminated card uh, with the schedule of when the fish were. And you kind of determined that uh, someone had been feeding these fish. In fact, these were the fish that were feeding you from time to time. And you fell into a routine of always returning here. In feeding the fish, of taking over the care of the fish and the replenishing of the water. As you read more and more about it, the checking of the filters skimming of the surface uh, you became the caretaker of the fish farm in keeping it operational and I said well that's a little bit different than fixing a giant sea- based aquarium but you kept it going and he uh, didn't know at some point if you would make the connection at the the caretaker, but I think you knew that. Uh, I think, I guess I did forget because you read, uh, since the tour guide talked about how this is, uh, these are the fish uh, served in some of our finest restaurants. Uh, and uh, you seemed pleased uh, Despite uh, not being able to fix my entire attraction, you were still able to sustain uh, an upgrade and maybe maintain for those who would come after you, whether that was an imagination or true. You kept the things going and you made them a little bit better. And you accepted uh, when the job was just uh, too big or not worth your time. And so thank you for keeping the bubbles flowing and, you know, having fun on that aquavator and now you know i i get to see you whenever you come to feed the fish which is great for me and i'll talk to you soon